This is Kevin Pearl with Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Alexi Neoclius. Alexi, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. It's Looking good. forward to it. It's good to have you. I think uh, we're on absolute opposite ends of the planet right now. <laughs> I think we might be. I think that's actually spot on. I think you, you said you said it's 9 a.m. in the morning at 7 p.m. Where, where I am the day before. So um, I, as we were talking off camera, I literally just flew back from from your part of the world, and I, I'm still jet lagged just a little bit. So, you know, you may have to carry both of us on the interview here. So good. Let's see how we go. <laughs> there you go. So give me a little background. Who is Alexi Neoclius? Um, so for most of my career, I've been a direct response copywriter um, for about 20 odd years. And most of my efforts have been focused on, um, you know, really doing customized uh, copy for clients and, you know, in the range of 20, 50, 100 grand a year, 100 grand sort of fees where we would do long copy letters, video sales letters, you know, the entire funnel, email, mm-hmm. order, responders, right. upsell, downsell, etc. Um, and pre-internet, a lot of the time, a lot of the work was offline copy, you know, again, long copy sales letters, print, radio, TV, etc. Um, so that was most of my career and, and something like 18 months ago, um, we, we uh, kicked off a content agency. So I took a, a good close look at just where the future was heading just with all the platforms that are popping up and what they need and what they want and um, then I took a, an inventory of what I'm good at, what I'm capable of, et cetera, and, um, you know, ticked a whole bunch of boxes, thankfully, and I built out a writing team of 17 or so writers. We've got nine designers for, um, you know, designing social posts and doing videos for clients, et cetera. And so now we produce content for companies, um, but not, not your run-of-the-mill content, content that actually performs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been able to reverse engineer many of the winning campaigns that I did over, over my career and really ask myself, what are the common elements you know, between the headlines, the subheads, the themes, how we open the copy, and how can I transfer that across into some sort of a process for other writers to write at, at that sort of level, mm-hmm. but without charging these ungodly fees that right. I tend to have charged most of my career. <laughs> so that's where we've ended up. Yeah, so the content we do, I like to say, is um, you know, it's content that performs. If it's joint at the hip with, with sensible media buying or if there's distribution built in in terms of email lists and a good social platform, um, then, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay for itself many times over. So that's what we do. Well, you, you've, already, um, you've already tempted me here because, I mean, normally these interviews are about 30 minutes long, and, and each element that you mentioned, we could probably talk about for 30 minutes. So I'm going to do my best to kind of narrow some things down here, but uh, I really want to give you the space later in the interview to kind of unpack some of these things because I just think they're so germane to our audience, I mean, yeah. the things that you said. So, so give me the name of your company. Fubi, F-U-B-B-I. And, and that came from oh it's a long story longish sort of story um, so what the background there was once i documented i had a close look at well what's required to make content perform and how, how do i translate that across to a writing team it turned out to be quite a big process like huge it was i looked at it and went oh my god almighty and then bringing all that together with the design team and so um, what we were looking for was a word that typified our process because we're highly systematized. And FUBI means interconnectedness in Corsican of all languages. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm not Corsican. Yeah, I was going to say, is there some, yeah, I was going to say that your name sounds a little more Greek than. 
Yeah. But hey, they're pretty close <laughs> geographically. Yeah. And I think there's some cultural similarities there. So yeah. Well, so right now you're running this company called Fubi and you said you have like 17 like copywriters that are content writers or content providers on your team. So so tell me what what caused the shift 18 months ago from uh, what you were doing to the to say, hey, let me really refine this process, and and I mean, obviously you you were doing well up to that point because you know charging those kind of fees, I mean, it, you know, it, it doesn't take too many of those to make a good year. So, yeah, what was the what was the impetus for the shift? Um, you know, well, I, I guess a few things. I, I I grew a little bit tired of being the person having to be the person, right. <laughs> Um, and that was the first thing. Second thing is I sort of felt it was time because one of the skill sets that I've got is I can think in systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I can reverse engineer just, you know, process. I can't do that. And that's not a necessarily a common trait for someone with a writing background. So exactly. I can do that. Plus, I know how to manage and lead teams. Um, you know, there's a few things that I could do over and above copy. And I thought, geez, you know what? We might be onto something here if I am able to create an agency that can can really produce content that truly, you know, my fellow colleagues look at it and say, holy crap, how did you do that? Mm. Well, first off, I didn't do it. My team did it. What, your team did it? And what? It's like, if I'm able to produce that sort of response and then most importantly, the clients actually generate ROI off it, we might be onto something because the future definitely, absolutely is content um, however, everybody's faced with the same problem. How do you make your content, you know, get free of the clutter? How to make it stand out? There's, there's just so much content out there. And, you know, if there's anything that we know, it's how to craft narratives that get attention. Um, so, yeah, here we are. <laughs> well, 20 years has given you a long track record to kind of look back and have a lot of content to reverse engineer. Did you also look outside of the stuff that you had produced to see, like, did you look at other outside campaigns and you know email campaigns and other other projects and say oh, these have been very successful? What made them successful and 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 try to reverse engineer them as well? Yeah, so that would have been implicit in. I mean, the answer is yes for sure. Um, because for many years I've had many mentors. Uh, you know, I've never I've learned from so many wonderful people. Uh, probably the most notable was a easy gentleman uh, called Paris Lampropoulos who's now a, a very, very close friend. He, he's, in my estimation, certainly the number one health copywriter in the world. I mean, he's been paid over a million bucks for just for one sales letter. So a number of years ago, um, you know, I, I became actually his copy cub. That's, that's what we call them, the mm-hmm. copy cubs. And, you know, learned from him literally at the feet of the master for a number of years. And whatever skill I thought I had before was irrelevant compared to what I learned uh, he, he just has genuine IP that, you know, that is just, you know, so through him as a lens, I really got access to what the best of the best of the best do. And from that, you know, I did sign a non-disclosure, so I can't, re- I can't, I can't show anybody how he does things. Right. But what I did as the next best was work out how to cre- create systems that don't sort of unveil what he teaches, but still can get the outcome mm-hmm. was not easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, Right now, you're focusing on on your team, kind of building these these processes and and the content. Is this mainly for? I mean, are you creating courses that teach people how to do this? What's the What's the main outcome right now? Or, or are you still producing 
content for like sales campaigns, email campaigns and stuff like that? Or are you looking more toward kind of the delivery side of training? Mm. What, what are you most involved in right now? So for the for the most part, so um, the core of what we do is article content. Mm-hmm. Because we're a writing team and I have a writing background, the first thing we will do is write a great article. But again, there's a big long process behind, well, what should the subject be about? Uh, what should the theme focus on? How do we open that particular article for that theme? Do we lead with a case study? Do we have great case studies? Can we borrow great case studies? Do, do we lead with statistics, data, trends, whatever it may be? Often the articles have a call to action. They're the best ones where, um, you know, once someone's gone through the article and they really want some more, we send them through to a funnel of some sort. Now, not all clients have funnels, unfortunately. So we do what we can there. But I say to every client, you want to have at least one good solid funnel that we can send your traffic to, whether that's a free, free book opt-in, free report, webinar free console doesn't matter but something that squeezes a good percentage of names so you can collect that email address Mm -hmm. so that's the core of we do is we first start off with the great articles that then become the base for videos uh, social posts for say facebook and and linkedin etc that we then dissect and slice and dice for email broadcasts and again, depending on the client's business, you know, the, the really good clients loop us in on strategies. They tell us, here's where we buy our media, right. here are our core KPIs, let's, let's make sure we integrate the content into that mix so we're really taking advantage of the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Again, not, not all clients will do that. Um, but those that do are the, are, the, are the more sensible ones for sure. Yeah. That's, that's got to make your job easier too. If, if, you, yeah. if, you're, if you get in earlier in the process of, of creating mm-hmm. that, so is the article itself the lead magnet or is there is it leading you to a set of sort of a lead magnet that it's that's entering them into the funnel? Yeah, usually it's leading towards some sort of lead magnet magnet. And that's because I mean, 10 years ago, man, you, you could do a lead magnet that was two pages. And that was like a awesome thing, you know, two pages now, it will get you the name, get you the email. Sure, if you hit the hot button, you know, to, to squeeze for a two-page lead, to squeeze a name in an email for a two-page squeeze magnet, mostly it's not enough. You're right. not going to engage that audience at all. So you really want to blow people away. Like, for example, uh, we just went to print two days ago. And when I say print, we uploaded it to the blog uh, on an article that my team wrote that is 8,502 8, words. Okay? Pretty long and article. the subject... A long article, and we reverse engineered um, uh, a SaaS company Zoho's marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible company. When we did the research, it was like, wow, we've got to do a story on this. 8,500 words. Now, that is for free on the blog. So th- we could probably give it as a download, but this is where the market's moving, where it's not just about the length, it's the, qu- the quality standards is increasingly getting higher and higher every year. So for, for us, as an example, we spent quite a bit of time writing this incredible article that we are gonna get a lot of mileage out of by turning into videos, post it on LinkedIn, we'll post it to certain groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn, we'll do some cold email outreach, we'll run some Facebook ads, we'll boost the posts. But that one article though gets incredible mileage because it's such a deep dive on that company's marketing process. Whereas if it was just a, you know, 13, 14, 1500 word article, you couldn't get as much mileage. You would need to produce more and more content. 
So this the, that article is not for the benefit of Zoho. That's that's about their processes. So it's yes. in essence that here's the top ten steps of how they market, mm. or, you know, that type of thing. Okay. So tell me, since you started Fubi, what would be your what would you say would be your lowest point that you've encountered in the last eighteen months? Um, the lowest point. That's a tough one. The lowest point might have been losing one of our clients. Mm -hmm. It might, might, and only because it was completely our fault. Um, now, the, the funny thing is, um, the content was superb. The client was absolutely happy, but he was 72 years old, and um, we just failed to realize that a 72-year-old often needs a bit more hand-holding <laughs> um, than normal. And so it was so obvious that I looked at it and went, we've got to upgrade our customer service here. I, I just thought... It, it, as long as we do great content mm -hmm. and we, we're consistent on it, that uh, that's good enough. And when he cancelled, went, what? what? He's got the most incredible content out there. Absolutely blown away with that content. Yet he's just cancelled. And so I wouldn't call it necessarily a low point, as opposed to the strongest feedback loop probably we've had since we started. And so right. since then, we've taken some some serious measures around the handholding. Uh, component of the first couple of months of a new client joining us. Yeah. I mean, you're not only reverse engineering the the content strategy, you're reverse engineering even the customer experience, obviously, and and mm. as part of that process. So, I thought you were going to tell me, you know, you used to have 18 <laughs> copywriters when when you lost oh, no. him, you're down, down to 17 now. So, I oh, know. No. Well, here's the thing. No, it's a funny thing is, I, losing writers is not too much of an issue for me because I, I fully assume that writers are going to disappear on me. It's it's the writing mindset, right? Yeah. So I, I totally got ready for that and created quite a, a detailed recruitment, identification and recruitment process for having, constantly finding potentially good new writers and then onboarding them. I absolutely know the writers. I know the writer mindset. Quite. mindset. There you go. Well, yeah, yeah you, you are one. So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so tell me, are they, are they all locally there or do they work remotely around the world or where do you find your writers? Everybody works remotely, uh -huh. um, and that's done on purpose because there is an abundance of writers. There's, right. no, there's, no, there's no skills shortage when it comes to writers. There's so many um, that finding them's not, not a problem. Finding the good ones that are technically at the standard, that's quite a bit harder. Right. And even perhaps more important than that is finding writers that have the right belief systems, have the right attitude because writers are – they're a funny bunch. You know, they're particularly sensitive to feedback. Um, they're particularly, they're artists. particularly, they're <laughs> artists. Yeah. And so quickly, quickly, quickly during the, the recruitment process, we will rip apart their material no matter what. We will absolutely, and just to see what happens. And the writer that gets sensitive does not go to the next stage, irrespective mm. of how skillful they are. Just doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely not. So, um, so we have that sort of uh, those sort of steps integrated into our process, so that when clients do give feedback, they are sometimes not sensible and silly. Uh, the writer doesn't take it personally. They just they just they've got the right mindset to all right. Let's work through this. Um, yeah. Right, and as the owner of the company, I mean, I think that that also benefits you in having you know just management of your employees. I mean, just not having to spend that. That extra amount of time just on you know personality or or you know extra headaches when they're like you said there's just kind of an abundance of of content creators out there. So yeah. I hate to end on low points. So so tell me what would you say would be your highest point since you started 18 months ago? What was the highlight? 
really really realizing that we're able to do like feeling in my system my nervous system knowing that damn we really can do stuff that is really hard to do otherwise at the price that we do mm. you can do what we do right but it would be 10 times the price right you would need someone with my sort of background that does you know that's not necessarily scalable um that it can't do volume uh, so that would probably i guess be it and probably the second is i've heard many times from you know, quite successful founders of companies that that are prospective clients or become clients have said to us, look, I looked at the samples and you know what's got me? Just your headlines. When you guys are, produ- I, that's what's got me from your, your portfolio. I've looked at your samples and you guys know what you're doing. So to hear that from people that um, know better mm-hmm. and to hear that multiple times, that's, that's, it's another feedback loop for me to say, yeah, we're, we're on point with process here, with our recruitment, with our talents. It's feeling good. Yeah. Right. Especially for people that have really no vested interest to tell you that. I mean, there's no, yeah. they're not necessarily trying to draw anything out of you. So, um, no. so when you, when you start, I mean, everyone has, has kind of pain points that they, that they encounter on a daily basis. What would you say would be your, your top, say one or two pain points that you encounter with FUBI on our, on our, say an ongoing basis that that part of I mean part of the background of the pod of this podcast the unique kind of USP the unique selling point of this podcast is allowing listeners also to speak into the pain points that our guests have listed so that's that's kind of the background so just curious what would you say would be your one or two say top obstacles or pain points that you encounter yeah, probably the, the, the never-ending one that I've got, and I don't think we'll ever be able to fix it, is um, clients that only do minimal, um, minimally utilize the, the content we do. Um, and they just, you know, they mm, just... That's um, a great one. That, it's, it's tough because we put so much... I know how much effort goes into creating just one article, and I know the power of a written word. I know... What, like, for example, uh, five years ago, I wrote a long copy sales letter for a vision supplement. That sales letter is still, still making money. <laughs> still making money for my client. And they're just words on a screen. Mm-hmm. So I, and that's happened many, many, many times in my career. So I know the value of words. And I know that the effort we go into with producing this content, if it's amplified and promoted and utilized maximally, I know the impact that can make. There's only so much I'll be able to influence that because you, you can't make a horse drink from the well. You know, mm-hmm. like we, we can help. We can produce video for clients and we can create the emails and we can do the social posts. But, you know, we don't have full control of the entire spectrum of a client's business. So that I mean, that's a great one. That's that's a unique one that we've we've never had on the show yet. Um, what, what would be another one that, that could, just comes to mind? Um, um, it may be perhaps, and only because I'm still working on it. Um, so the big focus for me this year has been our, our lead generation. So we, we've, we do Facebook ads and I do probably 20 speaking gigs a year and I'm on podcasts obviously, and everything works pretty well. But what I know from my experience is to really grow a business really big, you just need one good repetitive, reliable, scalable lead generation channel. Just one. You don't need 50. You just need one. And once you get that one, then well, how I do well, how I do things is I, I assign like a risk matrix to it in my mind. I ask mm-hmm. myself, all right, so what is the likelihood of this particular activity um, not working in six months or in 12 months? So for example, if I was in the weight loss space, 
uh, and I wanted to run uh, Facebook ads mm -hmm. for my product, and that's working a treat, that would have a high risk rating, very, very high. At some point, Facebook's going to give you problems. I've never not seen that happen. So um, but that's um, been my core focus for, for most of this year. And we've, we've probably, I think we've, I'm very confident we've found our channel. It's working incredibly well. So, and it's an outbound um, process, meaning we're reaching out to companies that have never heard us before. And right. so therefore, what that means is in terms of the biggest challenge or the second biggest challenge is helping those that have never heard us before quickly see quickly see the uniqueness and mm. compelling value of what we do um that's the challenge of outbound versus inbound um you know your inbound right. strategy you've got a, thousands of invisible prospects that you don't know really where they're at in the in the uh, in their evolution in their, in their qualification to to work with you until they take an action opt-in inquire etc and then you know if they actually inquire but they've been watching your content for the last year your conversion rate is going to be massive. Sure. Whereas an outbound strategy to people that have never heard you before, it, it can take longer. And so I'm working on refining our sales cycle, so to speak, for that one channel. Right. And that, that hook's got to be really good. Yeah. Because, it, yeah. I mean, you, you, you just flash across their screen and, and either they, they're interested or they're not. And it's, you know, especially on an outbound basis. So those are those are great, uh, great pain points. And I'll be anxious to see what kind of feedback we get on, on those two things. Because, like I said, we've got a kind of a wide range of, of people that are listening to our podcast here. But uh, so I want to I want to kind of shift focus a little bit and just dive a little deeper, uh, just hear a little bit more just about you and to tell me. Tell me one person that you follow pretty closely in the online space that really inspires you. In the online space, you know what's funny? Um, I, um, I don't follow too many in the online space anymore that really inspire me. And that's only because um, I've seen a lot and mm -hmm. been around for a while. And a lot of the stuff that I see is much more tactical now rather than really focusing on the stuff that really matters. So like, for example, like a funnel, we all know a funnel is important. What concerns me is there's quite a trend right now to having these really elaborate funnels with the upsell and the downsell and the cross-sell and the tick box on the checkout. And, the, and you know, I've been down that road too, and I know the, the pros and the cons of that, and it's missing a key point. Uh, and that is, um, you can do all that, that's fine, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, really, you need to really buckle down and understand your audience really, really, really well. And all this other stuff, it's all great, but if you haven't laid your foundation correctly, really understand your audience and really clarify your own business model and identify what is it you're able to do that no one else can do that lots of people are willing to pay lots of money for that you can keep growing for many years. And a lot of the symptomatic issues that companies face in business, a lot of cash flow problems or high turnover or high acquisition of a new customer costs, et cetera, they're, they're usually flaws of the business model. So uh, it's a long answer to your question, but this is sort of why I don't watch a lot in the online space because I actually, as I'm getting somewhat older, unfortunately, I'm understanding the stuff that really matters. And there's only a few core things that really matter and the rest of it, um, it it's peripheral. Um, you know, it's I, you know what? I will give you an answer though. It's not in the online space, but I will give you an answer where my focus is most days now. Um, Reid Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn, yeah. he has a brilliant podcast yep. called Masters of Scale. He does. Brilliant. It is. Um, so I spent a lot of time re-listening and re-listening to that podcast. 
and he's got a, a series of YouTube videos called Blitz Scaling hmm. um, that is just just truly brilliant. And um, I tell you, these guys think the right way. They truly like Brian Chesky's interview, founder of co-founder of Airbnb. You know, he's he, that guy's a seminal thinker, I think, and you know, he's, he makes it real clear. There's only really one or two core things that matter in your business at any point in time. One or two. One or two. And he's got a $30 billion company yeah. now. Yeah. So to, to circle back and, you know, to, I was talking about the, the, the comprehensive funnels before. I know how problematic they can be to actually make happen. And many times someone started today and it's six months down the road, they haven't got it up and running yet. So... Um, yeah, that's not what matters usually. <laughs> what is, uh, one of Reed Hoffman's, one of his famous quotes is if you're not embarrassed by your first iteration of the product, you've waited too long. So yeah, yeah I love that, that, yeah. um, I've actually listened to that interview you mentioned, but another one that, uh, just, just FYI is that another great podcast is called, uh, by Guy Moraz. It says how I built this. Have you happened Ooh. to, it's on national public radio, but it's, it, he interviews, you know, the same type of, of CEOs of companies, the guy, um, he just interviewed the guy that just created Buffer, I think, in the last, mm. you know, not long ago. And I think he has talked to the guy, the guy that started Airbnb and, and others that are at that level. So, yeah, very similar in, in nature and content. But um, is, there a, is there a particular quote, like a life quote, that, that is kind of a mantra that you go by that, that uh, you, you try to, you know, um, you have taped up by your by your laptop and you look at it yeah, every day or I've something. Got his, um, I've got it on my phone because the phone's always next to me. Um, and I can even show you. One sec. Yeah, it's this one here. I don't know if you can see what that says. Well, I'll read it if you can't. Yeah, everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. Yeah. Who it. wrote that? <laughs> well, uh, who's claimed credit for that is a company here in, in, in Australia called Founder, F-O-U-N-D-R. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm not sure if the, the, that's the original source, to be frank. I don't really care either way because it's a ripper. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, it's, a, great. it's a great quote. Yeah. It's great. So, so uh, just give me a real quick application of how you, how you kind of put that into practice. What's one thing you've done the last 12 months that, that you were fearful of doing that you just had to jump out there in the sharks? Yeah, there's not a lot that I'm, I'm fearful of. More I, um, I get just lazy about. Um, and so to... Like for example, um, okay, so earlier I spoke about our outreach strategy that is the one lead generation method that's working really well. So I'll tell you what it is just to expl answer this next question you just asked me now. It's direct mail to CEOs of the country's fastest growing companies. That's working amazingly well, okay? Uh, like 10 to 30% reply rates on our direct mail. That's, so we've hit on amazing. something, yeah. it's off the charts. But these are the CEOs of the, of the country's mm. fastest growing companies. So you can imagine how many touch points it requires to get them onto a call, follow up, et cetera. And they're not very tolerant. <laughs> they're, not, they're not. So, and right now it's me doing the outreach. So it's me following up. It's me, it's me doing all that. And, you know, it's um, initially it was a, a, a degree of discomfort. And that's partly because I'm somewhat introverted more than extroverted. I like, I've always loved reverse marketing strategies. I've always loved um, you know, have the inbound process where people call you, they're somewhat more qualified, you pick up the phone, you're the expert, etc. I got very used to that because that's how we ran things for so long. But in the interest of keeping an open mind, we tested direct mail just to see what would happen. And on the first test, we got a 30% reply rate and I went, oh, wow, okay, 
I didn't expect it to be Something's that. Something's up here, yeah. So then I've realized, but it's outbound and never heard of us, so I've got to retool a whole bunch of stuff here around the follow-up. And part of that is dogged persistiveness um, to the point where it's like, all right, let's talk, just stop following up, let's, let, let's do it. And, to, you know, there are some people that I'm genuinely pissing off, I would imagine, because <laughs> just not letting up. Yeah. Um, we've got gatekeepers to gatekeepers that are not returning calls. Right. Like we've got like there's one company that I know of quite, quite well that we've been following up for two months. The gatekeeper has stopped responding, <laughs> 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 which is an interesting one because their job is to actually be the gatekeeper and, and just keep in the loop. They're very the gatekeeper to get through to the decision maker so that that required a, you know it's 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 right now there's no fear at all with it it's just that initially there's a degree of discomfort and it had more to do with unfamiliarity with being having to do that because for so many years you know it was entirely inbound yeah that those are i i love the when you unpack that you you take the questions and you unpack them and you actually just put kind of meat on the bones you know, when in your responses and, and you have you have added so much to the just the breadth of this interview with just your experience and just the fact that, you know, you you actually take my question and you and you increase the value of it just by your answer. So I, I really appreciate you, you going in depth on those on these questions. But so if you could go back 20 years, yeah. what what is one key piece of advice that you would tell the the 18 uh, year old Alexi 20 years ago? Yeah, the key piece of advice, um, it probably, it's going to sound a bit silly, but probably I would have chosen different mentors back then. I probably would have, I would have moved my butt to San Francisco probably Mm. um, and found um, and got, I always had great mentors, but I realized that some of the mentors influenced my thinking in ways that weren't the most useful at that age. Uh And I had to unwind a bit of the thinking. Um, so the answer would have been, um, find mentors that push my buttons a lot more that did bigger, much bigger things. And probably would, I would have found myself in San Francisco in New York, probably, um, those that are never mentors that are never satisfied that, um, you know, that's probably what I would have done. I think that would have been not to say I'm unhappy with how things have unfolded, but if I had the time again, that's what I would have done for sure. So is there a, is there an Australian equivalent to Silicon Valley? Um, no, no, I think if there's, there definitely is not. And if there is, if it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be here in Sydney. Yeah, I was going to say, um, this is probably the heart yeah. of the tech space there. I would, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I think there's no place in the world like Silicon Valley, obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, it's that, that certainly has been the case for the last 15 or 20 years for absolutely. So is there anything that uh, that I haven't touched on? I said I'd, by the end, at the end I would kind of circle back with you and and just uh, you know give you some space if there was anything that you think would be useful for our listeners, but uh, that I haven't asked you about. I'd love to just offer you the space. Yeah, yeah it, it probably just dovetails with what we spoke about. Yeah, choose your mentors really carefully. Uh, like choose mentors that make you uncomfortable, that play a game that is so much bigger than you could possibly imagine. Don't choose mentors that already like already reinforce your biases. Don't do that. Don't. That's not what you want. You want mentors that actually violate all your biases, make you feel uncomfortable, but but play the much bigger game. That's really what you want because confirmation bias. It's a little bit of a deadly thing, right? Like it's 
it reinforces whatever negative view you may have, whatever you know, whatever bias you have built in already, it makes it stronger. And I see now it's your biases that actually limit you. And so you you want to be clear of what your biases are and break through those babies as early as you can. Yeah. What a great way to end our interview. What a great piece of advice. Uh, just choose your mentors wisely. And, and let me let me recap exactly how you phrase that so that they're playing a bigger game. Is that is that really what you had mm-hmm. said? A much, much bigger game, and they make you feel uncomfortable. Right. The fact you're uncomfortable means you have biases you haven't explored and viewpoints you haven't explored and probably beliefs that are limiting. So if, if the mentor really frustrates you, but they're playing a really big game, they're, they're producing something that you – you begrudgingly look at them and say, wow, <laughs> that's, that's, that's where you want to go. Yeah. Well, Lexi, I, I am very grateful for your time today, and uh, this has been a great interview. And how, So how can people find you online? What's the easiest way? Uh, the, the easiest way would be to go to fubi.co forward slash webinar foobie.co forward slash webinar it's f-u-b-b-i.co mm-hmm. and that's just a webinar we've set up that's loaded with content and what we what we what we did was we reverse engineered a lot of our process how we produce content how we uh, how we come up with our how we do ideation come up with ideas how we lay out marketing calendars etc uh, loaded with content good value so my recommendation would be to go there we'll certainly include those on the show notes and uh Okay, listeners, it's your chance now. He's mentioned a couple of pain points, but he's given us so much good content during this interview and, and just so much that we can take away. But I'd certainly encourage you to to go to the link that's going to be listed that he mentioned to the fubi.co slash webinar. And once again, it's your time to, to speak into this, listeners. As, as uh, we like to say, that the whole thought process behind Rising Tide Startups is everyone speaking into and adding value to the community because all boats rise in a rising tide. Alexi, thank you again. Thank you.